0: That'd be good for us to pause for just a moment before I get into the message to have prayer for all the many people who have been affected by the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. 28,000 people we know have passed because of that. Countless families hurt and people recovering from all that and having all kinds of needs. So let's pray for them this morning and we'll get started with the message. God, we come before you seeing this great need on the face of the earth. Anytime we see a need like this, we're moved. But when it's in such proportion, we're really struck by how many people have been affected. Families who've lost loved ones, maybe multiple loved ones, families wiped out, people who are recovering, people who are going to be reliving the events of that day for the rest of their lives. And God, we pray for them. We pray for those involved in the recovery efforts. And God, we know that there are many people needing some basic supplies. And, and we ask that you would use us and people across the globe to be a blessing to them. And God, in all that, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we bring this series uh, that I'm calling One to a close today. And, and I'm using that word in a way that maybe we don't often use it in our culture. When we think of One, we normally think of in terms of people of one person. Because we're a pretty individualistic culture, we think about the individual person. We live life thinking about how this affects me. What's going on? How do I feel about it? And it's not so much selfishness as it is just a mindset for the individual. But if we look at other cultures around the globe, we see that they sort of think in different terms and may think more about a communal approach to life. And we see that reflected even in the way we build our homes and organize our lives in our country and our culture. We tend to build houses in lines, right? They're around a block or whatever, down a street, and they're separate. We mostly live in single family dwellings. And we find that if we look around the world, it's not always that way. Many people live with multiple generations under the same roof, maybe two, three, or even four generations living together. They orient their homes toward the community rather than to separate themselves. Now, it's not that one of those is right and one is wrong. It's just so different. We find it hard to understand it. It's in the air that we breathe to think of life Individualistically, and that plays out in lots of the ways that we approach life, including life as a church, and and we're thinking about how life as a church really is a community. Okay, and, and today I want us to think about how this individual thinking can even can even affect the way that we think about the Bible. So, in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, among the letters, we might find a writer oftentimes Paul, but we know there are letters by John and Jude, others, and they're writing those letters, and they're writing to a church, and they will say, you need to do this. Now, when we read that you in our culture, what we often think of is, what is Paul or John saying to me personally? How does that affect me? That you becomes singular, and he's talking to me. Now, there's a couple of issues that are involved in that approach to reading scripture. First of all, none of these letters were written directly to us. They were written 2,000 years ago to another group of people, so it's always good to think, how did the original readers hear that? How did they understand it? What did the writer mean to them? Get that, and then how does it apply to me and us? But, But here's the thing. We also need to think about who they were writing to. And unless it's Paul's letters to Timothy, which we studied not long ago, or, or Philemon, or Titus, he's writing to a community of faith. Now in English, that's hard to see. Because we have this one word, you, and that could be to describe one of you, or all of you. And it's the same word. So we don't always know unless we look in the context. Now in the South, we figured that out, right? Because there's you, and there's y'all, and if it's a real big group, it's all y'all, okay? And if everybody would just do that, there would be no problem. But we struggle in English with this word, you, because we got to figure out who the person's talking to. And in most of Paul's letters, he's writing to the church, and so when he says you, he means the church, not just one individual. And that affects how we understand and how we read these passages. And we're going to get to one of those passages in a few minutes in Ephesians, but... But when when we get there, Paul's really writing to them and talking about, okay, this is what it means for you to be the community of faith. And community, well, it forms around lots of stuff. We live in different kinds of communities throughout our lives, and they are formed around different things. There are going to be people today who feel like they're in community with other people because of the team that they're rooting for, right? I mean, when we support a team, we wear the same clothes, we might sing the same song, do the same chant, wear the same food on our head depending on the team. I mean, there are different ways that we build community around the teams we support, but that can also be in terms of where we're from, it can be in terms of where we went to school, it can be in terms of certain brands that we like, the kind of car we drive or whatever. All those things can form community. So the question for us today is, how is community formed in the church, and how does that affect us? Well, when we come to Ephesians chapter 4, that's exactly what Paul's talking about when he's writing to the Christians in Ephesus. Now, We always have to remember that Ephesus, or the book of Ephesians, is really sort of a handbook for early church life. It was written to the Christians in Ephesus, but probably passed around to other churches, and it sort of teaches us what church life is about, too. So Paul spends three chapters saying this is what it means to be called by Christ into a relationship with God that's based in his death, burial, resurrection. Okay, And then he spends three chapters afterwards saying this is how you live it out. This is what it means for you, the church, to live out the calling that you've received from Christ. So when we come to the beginning of chapter 4, we're making a transition into that more practical section, and that's where I want us to pick up today. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, remember Paul's under arrest here, As a prisoner for for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So he spent all this time saying, hey, we're called to follow Jesus, to, to know God through Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about that calling. You have been called by the creator of the universe, The one who gave life, sustains life, who sent Jesus, has called us to know him. You've been called by that God into a relationship. Now, I want you to live a life that is worthy of what God has done. Worthy of Jesus going to the cross. Worthy of Jesus being raised from the dead. This is a big deal, and I want it basically to change who you are. That's what he's saying. And then he says this is how it should affect you as a group. Verse 2. Be completely humble And gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, in the ancient world, in Roman culture, it was pretty common for someone like Paul, who was a teacher, to write to a group of students, okay, because you can't travel very easily. Although Paul did travel a lot, it took a long time. So you would write letters to the people that you had been present with before to instruct them and faith or virtue or whatever else. So we would often see lists of virtues in these ancient letters, just like we see in verse 2 and we see in Paul's other letters. Now, here's what's interesting. Lists of virtues are common. Some of the virtues that Paul mentions, not so common. In fact, he opens with this one, be humble. Now, I think Paul's writing to the church And he's saying, listen, if you want to maintain unity, if you want to be a community of faith, these things have to be at work for you to maintain that community. Number one, be humble. Now, here's the thing. In the ancient world, humility was not seen as a virtue. It was seen as a character flaw. Because people in the ancient world thought, man, if if you're humble, that means you're, you're weak. You're just letting everybody walk all over you. You don't think highly enough of yourself. You've got it all wrong. And Paul says, no. What humility is, when we look in the Christian understanding of humility, it's not saying there's something wrong with me as much as it is saying, you know what, there are people of value all around me. There are other really smart people in the room who need to be heard. There are people who can do things that I don't have, that have experiences that I haven't had, who know how to do stuff that I will never be able to do. And because of that, I need to operate with humility and show them respect. So it's raising other people up, not sort of just making ourselves downgraded. So if we want to have Christian community, one of the things that we need is humility. But he says we also need gentleness We also need patience. We need to bear with one another in sort of the the ultimate Christian virtue, which is love. So Paul's list is, well, we see lots of lists like this, but his list is not like everyone else's list. And he's saying to the church, not just to individuals, okay? This is not just about you as individual people who happen to show up in the same room. It's about the church as a community. If you want to maintain unity, if you want to be a community... You're going to have to have all these things. So these virtues are not just about personal integrity. They're about maintaining the group, the sense that this is the body of Christ. Now, from there... Paul launches into sort of another section where I think he's taking this in order that's maybe reverse of what I would do. Well, let's read verse three before I get there. Verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So Paul says, listen, God's spirit is at work in you and you've got to allow God's spirit to change you so that you can maintain that unity. That, that peace that comes among Christians. So from there, he launches into what makes community. He's done this in a way that he says, this is what maintains community, all right? You've got to be humble, gentle, forgiving, patient. You've got to bear with one another in love. All those things are absolutely necessary to maintain community. But here's what creates community. That's the next set of verses. So he's telling us this is the basis of, for a Christian community. For community to happen, people have to hold something in common. You can see there, it's the same root, right? They have to hold something in common. And Paul's about to tell us what Christians hold in common that creates community. And he's gonna list seven things, okay? Here they are. Verse four There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, I don't think this is an exhaustive list. I don't think Paul is saying these are the seven things that Christians hold in common and there's nothing else. What I think he's saying is these are seven things that we hold in common, which are at the very core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And they are the things that all Christians have in common that should unite us all. But certainly when Christians meet together, these are the things that bind us together. We don't have time to go through every one of those in detail. That would be like a whole series of lessons. But I think there are ways to group these that help us make sense of them and see what Paul is trying to do. First of all, there are three that go together. He says there's one Spirit, one Lord, one God, and Father. Now, it's interesting that he uses these three. One Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. One Lord, and our Lord is Jesus. That's who he's talking about there. One God and Father what it reminds me of is thinking of God as God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We call that the Trinity, right? Now, that word never shows up in the New Testament. It's not in the Bible. But over time, Christians began to understand by what we see in Scripture that this is God, that God comes to us as one God in three persons. Now, how do you understand that? I'm still trying to figure that out, too. All of us are Christians for... Couple thousand years been trying to figure out what that looks like, but, but what we see is a deep mystery of understanding that we can't get everything about God there is to get. Right? We're trying to figure that out, but God reveals to him, himself to us. He shows himself in the form of God the Father, God the Son. God the Spirit. And it's not many places in the New Testament where all three show up in the same breath. There is lots of passages that talk about God. There are many, many passages, right? We got whole gospels that talk about the story of Jesus. And we see God's Spirit revealed many different ways in the New Testament, but all together in like one breath, like right here, it's very rare. But here Paul says it: God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. God is creator, God is savior, God is the one who inhabits us. All these work together. And at the core of Christian faith, at the core of what binds us together, is certainly the nature of God. And we hold this in common with all Christians. So those three go together. I think there's ways to put some of the others together, but one that we have to look individually at is he says there's one body. Now, we've sort of talked about this a little bit over the last few weeks in other settings that, you know what? We are the body of Christ, and there can be only one body. When Jesus was physically present on earth, born of Mary, lived in Judea and Galilee, died on the cross, he had one body. And when he left, he said, we are the body of Christ. Now, Christians have done a really good job over the past 2,000 years of trying to divide up the body of Christ, right? I mean, if you look at Christian history, what you see is, in a lot of ways that Christians have said, they're different from us, they're on the outside, we've got it figured out, but this group over here, they're not right. But the truth is, there is one body of Christ. There are not multiple bodies. And even though we might try to divide ourselves up, Ultimately, all the people who have faith in this one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, are one body. We are the body of Christ. So we, as Christians here together today, are part of the body, but we are joined by Christians who have been worshiping and will worship all around the globe this morning. We are all the body of Christ. But in this place, at this time, the fact that we are Christ's body holds us together and helps us create community. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, one hope, one body, one hope. We share the same hope. You see, Christians are always a forward-looking people. And as much as we might look around our world and be discouraged and see some really bad things happening and see people suffering, the truth is We have hope because we believe God is still active, still present, and still at work. God is not done yet. Christians inherently look to the future because we believe God has a plan. We believe that God's going to bring all things together and restore creation to what it should be and was created to be. But we messed up. And so we have this hope of eternity with God, and we have a hope of spending eternity together with God. So we look to the future, and that hope binds us together as well. And then two more things that go together, one faith, one baptism. Now, sometimes we think of faith being sort of a set of beliefs. All these things that we believe, that's our, that's our faith, and that may be similar to other Christians, but they are of a different faith, or we might talk about other religions having a different faith. But When it comes to our faith in this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what I think Paul is talking about is not some vast doctrinal understanding. He's saying, do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Okay, not do you believe this sort of nuance about The Lord's Supper or this nuance about baptism or maybe this particular understanding of how the Spirit works. Not this big set of beliefs, but do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? That's the faith Paul's talking about. That's what binds us together. That's something we hold in common and it leads us then to baptism. Because baptism is the result of that faith. So what is at the core of the Christian life That brings Christians together. Our belief in God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The fact that we are one body, that we have one hope, that we have one faith in Jesus, and that there is one baptism that we all go through that puts us in contact with God and with grace. These are the things that create Christian community. So Paul is saying to the Ephesians, and he's saying to us, this is how it all comes together. And then he laid out before that, if you have humility and gentleness and patience with one another, and if you bear with one another in love, that will maintain the unity that these seven things creates. So, what do we learn from this? I think it's this. Community is based on what we have in common, and community holds us together. Community is what keeps us one church you know, if, if all we were is a group of Christians who happen to just come in this room occasionally and we sort of bounce against one another and say good morning, and then we all go out and live our lives, that is not community. And wouldn't it be really easy if, if that's all we had was just coming in this room and, and sort of having the same experience two or three times a month or whatever, and going and living life well, it'd be easy to go somewhere else if something doesn't go the way we want. That, that's not community. That's not being bound together. But when we identify these seven things that we hold in common, and then we learn to develop the virtues that Paul's talking about of humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, then we're connected. And it really is what keeps us together, united around the mission we talked about last week. We need community. We were created for community with God and community with others. And that's what we're here for. And it's not just here, it's in groups. And when we have shared experiences serving in the church and serving in the community, all those things bind us together. And we need that community because life is hard. I mean, bad stuff happens sometimes. We face sickness and death and we have to grapple with the fact that we're going to die, and, and it's hard, and we need people with us in that. And what I know is that community life can be hard too because there's times when we say stuff that offends one another and, and we might have different goals on what the church should do and we struggle through that, but, but if we have unity based on these seven things and we are working to be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another in love, we can have community, and we can get through difficult things. I believe we were created for that common purpose, to pursue this common mission together. And to do that, we are drawn into a community that pursues that as part of the larger community of faith around the world. And if we're united around that common purpose, that community will hold us together. Let's pray together. God, create in us a unity around these seven things that Paul lays out about how we understand you, how we understand our bond together as the body, how we understand our hope, our faith, and our baptism. And God, develop in us the virtues that will create community and bind us together so that we can serve you well and so that we can depend on one another. And God, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.